0: Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing, well, everything from our editing and research processes to how we got started in fandom, because we're answering listener questions.
1: you wore your dancing pants today because this is the episode 20 extravaganza I'm Alex and my question is for the American members of our audience today two weeks hence you're going to go vote right (laughs) please please please,
0: please. I'm Freya and my question is if you could give your worst enemy a superpower what would it be
2: that's mean
0: (laughs) yes potentially now I just want to answer your question
2: anyway no no no. (laughs) hello I'm Macy and my question is you are tasked to form an epic crossover magical techno heist team. No more than one person per canon, four crew members. Who do you pick and
1: why? So oh, like good. different characters from different yes. books and things. Ooh, Right?
0: Ooh, We are, as ever, three red-headed fantasy authors.
1: And today's topic is you, dear listeners. <laughs> How are you? How are things going? What sort of things are you wondering about today? <laughs> but first, before we dive into all that... What are we
0: into this week? Well, it is spring here, but being that I am in the Southern weird. Hemisphere... It's very weird. I know. <laughs> it is very Look, weird. I'm in the Southern fake. Hemisphere. I it's am fake. It's fake news, Freya. blossoms us. everywhere. It's sunny. It's lovely. Meanwhile, the entire internet is losing their fucking shit over pumpkins, which happens every year and everyone's like, oh, it's so cold. Oh, the leaves are turning. Oh, Halloween is coming. I'm like, fuck. Anyway, but I decided to get into the mood and read something spooky. So I read for the first time Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House, which is Incredible! It's a horror classic. It's really, really good. The only Jackson I'd ever read before was the short story "The Lottery," and we have always lived in the castle. Mm. And this mm. is a very classic haunted house story. It's short, very spooky. Highly recommend it. And then I read KJ Charles's new book <laughs> and Sinister, Ooh. which healed my heart and made it sing. I it was beautiful. It's about a quiet regency gentleman who has to go and live in the house of a notorious rake who has a a hellfire club that has orgies and things like that also (laughs) reputation (laughs) says when his Uh. extravagant novel writing sister breaks her leg and has to be convalescing in this house
2: in the house of orgies
0: in the house of orgies it's really lovely it's about you know what KJ Charles does best, which is sort of queer found family and really strong friendships from people who've grown up together or found one another um, and taken comfort from being different. And the romance in it is lovely, but I really loved all the secondary characters, and I really, really hope she turns this one into a series. But even if not, this on its own is just a delightful Regency romp, very Georgette hale like. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. Thank you, KJ <laughs> Charles, for doing what you That's do. What I
1: mean, always for. Ben Sinister is next on my TBR pile.
0: Yep. come and shout at me about which of the secondary characters you most love. Oh,
1: yeah. I don't so much have a TBR pile as like a TBR volcano. Mm. Mm. Well, sure, sure. <laughs>
2: yeah, But uh, hey,
1: hey, Macy, what are you reading right now? Listen,
2: <laughs> listen, friend,
1: don't talk to me. Do you want to you wanna tell us what you're reading?
2: Don't talk to me. Do
1: you, no. you want to tell no. us? No, fine. Listen, I, this, I, it's not my fault. <laughs> a little bit
2: it's not it's not my fault okay so here's the thing that happened which is that my agent and agent sibling were shouting about things on the internet and long story short i am now two acts deep in homestuck again for the second time. yes I, i i take no responsibility for my actions it's all emily's fault um yeah i regret many things about this let's
1: let's just move on from Please this situation from myself Help. <laughs> in this situation <laughs> i am reading torn by rowena miller which is uh, a wonderful book so far. I'm about halfway through it. It's a little bit like Les Mis, but it's about a magical seamstress and it's got revolutions and pretty (laughs) dresses and liberty for the working classes. And it's great so far. I'm having such fun with it. There's a lot of really strong, amazing, complex female characters. Uh, And I'm also, uh, let's see, what else am I doing? I'm taking a small break from Guardian right now. I haven't watched... uh, many episodes I'm still on episode like 26 of Guardian uh and I'm taking a break to watch a little bit more Winona Earp hmm. I finished season one and started season two of that and I have amazingly not really been in fanfic hell the last two weeks because I've been trying desperately to finish this manuscript that I'm working on so that I'll <laughs>
0: oh, be fresh don't and clear. talk about trying to finish manuscripts.
1: Oh I know we're both in it girl we're <laughs> I mean both in I it.
2: My my own particular finishing things, Hell, is a poem that is now nearly 800 words long. Jesus, and that this, thing
1: won't leave you alone, will it, it? No,
2: and listen, I think this is worse because there's literally no reason for me to be writing this and nothing I can do with it once I've written it. At least mm. you two's manuscripts are like four things. <laughs> yeah, well, this one, poem, one hopes One so. would hope.
1: <laughs> this poem that you're writing, it is like... I enjoyed it, but it is a strange thing, and I don't really know what you would do with it afterwards either, so... It's, it's um, like a short story, but in verse. I don't know what it is. Very it's very weird. It's got three it's point of thing.
2: views.
1: And each of the different point of view has a different, like, rhyme scheme and meter and shit, right? Yeah. It's very literary. Oh god, don't <laughs> say that. I'm
2: gonna have, like, an allergic reaction and you'll have to do the episode without me.
1: Yeah, I know, right? Uh, same, same. That's how I feel about literary fiction as well. Uh, anyway, I yeah, I'm just desperately trying to get this manuscript finished so that during November for NaNoWriMo, I can work on the thing that is dearest to my heart, the trope-tastic book of my heart uh and yeah but you have some other news for our darling listeners don't you i do i do so uh if you have been listening consistently to our episodes you know that yesterday a conspiracy of truths (laughs) launched it is now available for buying and loving and hugging you can petting it's definitely worth
2: petting if you have the physical book for that's actually
1: true like it sounds like we're joking but that actually is <laughs> literally true because my pubis- my publishers did some beautiful stuff with the cover it's got like this embossed leather feel to it so that you like you can touch it and it's like silky and nice to pet <laughs> and you can buy a copy of your very own to have and hold in your own house <laughs> amazingly so you should do that thing you should indeed do that thing
0: yes you should
2: yeah and before we keep going i want to take an, a moment in this our 20th episode which dear god how how how, how that's 20 how hours happen? people you could spend like nearly a whole day listening to nothing but our episodes and you could then read them all because our darling darling scribes uh magali sarah naharika and millie have been writing with us for this whole time we write we talk so fast listeners we, we talk, talk so at like 11,000 words an episode times 20 uh-huh. that's 200,000
0: words that ask ourselves and they somehow manage to untangle that and then come up with amazing metaphors to describe the high pitched noises that people make <laughs> people like generally
2: us i feel like mostly me and alex but sometimes raya
0: And we yeah, challenge we love our noise more.
2: <laughs> yes weekly challenge have Freya, your it. challenge for this episode Freya is to make
1: more noises than Alex and I how about, how about no. this right no. now no no no, not Freya-
0: accepted.
1: no 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 Freya doesn't have to do it the whole episode because let's, let's admit it that's not Freya's strong suit we don't want her to be anyone other than who exactly she is <laughs> so how about Freya just makes one noise right now as kind of a special episode 20 challenge for our darling scribes go
0: did you hear the whole part where I said I wasn't an actor? This is something we were talking about before. I cannot do things when told to do them. Oh, let's just let's see if something happens. At some any point noise?
2: during this episode, we encourage you, if you feel so moved, to make a noise of some variety. <laughs> <laughs> How did we
0: get here? <laughs> well, listen, shall we move on? Shall we move let's on? Let's move on. Please. Let's move on. All right. So we're moving on to the questions and thank you very much to everybody who submitted questions. We had so many amazing ones. A lot of people submitted multiple questions and we did end up with even cutting out multiples, more questions than we think we can probably answer given the time. So apologies if we don't get to yours, but there's some really good stuff in there. I wanted to say Kelsey asked us our feelings on coffee shop AUs. (laughs) We do indeed have some feelings. We have so many feelings that <laughs> we are thinking of maybe doing a whole episode on that topic. So watch this space.
1: We probably would need that much space. Yeah, we, we would, we would need definitely space. need a full hour to talk about coffee shopping. So it's probably good that we're not <laughs> answering that question.
0: <laughs> well, let's answer this one. Scribe Sarah asks, if you were a genre-bent novel, what combinations of genre would you be?
1: If I were a genre-bent novel, I would be a piece of original fiction that uses all of the tropes and settings and trappings of a coffee shop AU, coincidentally enough, (laughs) but set in like an original fantasy world, which is actually a novel that I literally want to write. And but I have to come up with a plot before (laughs) I can tell my agent about it. That is true. My agent is always yelling at me, like every three months, like clockwork. I slide into his DMs. (laughs) I'm like, hey. I have a new book idea and he's like does it have a plot and I'm like no but (laughs) no plot no book he says how about you go and you come up with the plot and then we can talk and I'm like fine fine yeah I I feel bad for like mine and Alex's
2: agents on this front Freya Freya slides in with like five spreadsheets and (laughs) like a bullet pointed list
0: (laughs) I do well I have a bullet pointed list though (laughs) that I'm going to write <laughs> We'd like subheadings for possible, if oh still God. first one, possible, oh if this
2: oh my gosh whereas I'm just like hey Kirsten hey how about cannibals <laughs> <laughs> literally an email I sent like a month and a half ago, anyway John bent novel, which is, this is a great question, I'm like I want to do all of these, um, I would probably be like A witchy or, like, a fey contemporary novel, but with, like, a techno side? Ooh, sort of like a urban techno fantasy thing? Right, like a a Witches of Silicon Valley shenanigans, like... Ooh, 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 like a fantasy cyberpunk. Ooh,
0: I would do that. I would do a fantasy cyberpunk. That Mm. would be fun. That would be kind of cool. How about you, Freya? I've been trying to think about this, because the kind of novel that I would be is very is a bit different to the kind of novel that I would write. So the kind of novel that I would be would not actually have a strong romance plot. It would be, Mm. I think, one of those sort of, you guys can both have allergic reactions if you wish, literary (laughs) uh, fiction books that is actually a fantasy novel in disguise, but has somehow managed to get itself... What shelf would you put it on? Yes, it's somehow managed to get itself onto the fiction shelf. Ah! Ah! But it's actually got a very strong element of speculative stuff going on. And there's a large cast and lots of interesting friendships and weird dynamics going on. Maybe there's a small romance in there, but it wouldn't be the main
1: thing. So like magical realism, kind of? Mm, Kind of, but not quite. Maybe like
0: teetering on that edge between magical realism and fantasy, like um, Watchmaker of Villagree Street.
2: That makes sense. Well, I'm going to ask our next question, which is from Adam. Adam asks, which of the three hosts is most likely to suffer a mishap with no real negative effects because things just sort of luckily work out? I feel like... Me.
0: Yeah. The Alex. It's Alex. Like, 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 immediately. I'm pretty sure you'd have to know that when you ask this question. Alex just has that vibe.
1: Yeah, like, things just sort of
2: happen to me. I would tend to, like dodge the mishap or, like, twist it around to not be a mishap. And I feel like Freya would just be way too competent for a mishap to ever dare to Yeah, I don't it. really have mishaps. Yes. <laughs> no, no, Freya happens to them. Yes, I happen
1: yes, to mishaps. Yes, but mishaps, mishaps <laughs> happen to me all of the time, and they don't really have any consequences. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> or, okay, that's not true. That's not true. I have suffered many negative consequences in my life. It's just that I have this philosophy that... It's like the universe and I kind of have an understanding, right? (laughs) And I'm serious about this. And I feel like, for the most part, the universe rarely fucks you over really hard the first time that you fuck up. Mm. Usually, the universe gives you a couple opportunities to fuck up in a small way so that you can catch yourself before you fuck up in a big way. And if you miss those if those opportunities go over your head or you just don't notice them then you fuck up in a big way now obviously this is not always true and we're talking purely about like luck based things here and like personal interactions rather than like societal stuff because once you get into like privilege and shit that is a whole different conversation and yeah but (laughs) so purely for like luck based things absolutely I am the one who things just sort of work out that that is true like yeah. instantly it's it's alex mm-hmm. yeah so the next question is from devon counter to the epics what are your favorite very very short stories thick but especially not thick bonus points if they fit into one of the other episode themes
0: i must admit i don't read a lot of very short thick i'm not a big fanfic reader in general but when i do read it it tends to be fairly long because mm-hmm. i'm reading it usually for some kind of trope or some kind of particular story. Yeah I, I just tend to, to read things no longer in general although around Yuletide obviously I read quite a few short things but especially not Vic My favorite short story writer is an Australian writer called Margot Lanigan who writes mm-hmm. really sort of dark fantasy sometimes with a little edge of horror like very atmospheric really really interesting short stories. Uh, she's got a couple of collections out and one of them is called Yellow Cake and there's a story in that called Ferryman which is really short and it's a bat's from the point of view of the daughter of the ferryman of the dead, which is lovely. Uh, but for a long time, my favourite short story was Neil Gaiman's murder mysteries, which is about uh, a murder investigation in heaven when an angel is found dead.
1: Oh, I remember that one. I read that one a long, long time ago. Yeah, he likes those really good. angel stories. He does. I haven't reread
0: it for ages, but it made a big impression.
1: I and we're just going through this question and talking about all of these things that we like and the listeners are gonna hate us because ah. their TBR piles are already terrible because we ruin them every week. But these are short. People yell at me. <laughs> these are short it's, short it's short, it is short fic, it is short fic. Uh, one of my favorites from last year, which which actually got nominated for a Hugo, was mm-hmm. uh, Yoon Ha Lee's Extracurricular Activities, which is mm-hmm. a sci-fi, I think it was a novella, novelette? No. It was longer than a short novelette story. maybe. Novelette, yeah. And then the Hugo Award for Best Short Story in 2016, or was that last year? What is Linear Time? I don't know. Um, No, no, it was 2017. Yeah, the... the, Okay, so (laughs) this year, Extracurricular Activities was nominated. Uh, Last year... In 2017 Amal El Matar's Seasons of Glass and Iron won for best short story and that was incredible I loved that right. one and I got to make her this dress that was based on the, the short story it was wonderful and then for fan fiction specifically I just reread this achingly sweet fic in the Dragon Age Inquisition fandom uh, called Unprimary Sources by Covered in Feels and that is one that we definitely could have tent tentpolled for the uh, who lives, who dies, who tells the story. And so here is the
2: thing where we have already established that I am a nonsense human being. This is a thing that is a point of contention between Alex and I occasionally, because Alex will be like, I listen to this song, and I'm like, ooh, how did you like the album? And Alex will be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, true. wait, you just listened to a song? Yeah, Yeah. People don't, what? No. So I can't even listen to like one song. I can't really read one short story. It's not really how my brain works. Mm. I read in like selections. So my answer is a little bit more about like short story collections that I really loved, particularly Starlit Wood, which I think we talked a bit about during the Fairy Tales episode. And yeah. actually Amar's yeah. story was originally from there. And so was Spinning Silver, which gives you some idea of the bar of
1: that That's collection. a great collection. Yeah, it was
2: fantastic. It's a great collection. Well, also, it's just in general, listeners, if you're bopping around a bookstore... And looking at their fantasy short fiction, if you ever see anything that's edited by the pair of Navarre Wolf and Dominic Parisian, that's gonna be like an amazing collection because those two yes. are those two are exceedingly on fire yes. and, and Nava and, is my editor so indeed, Nava know. is a lovely human being and yeah. I also really enjoyed Yoon Lee's Conservation of Shadows um, to mention Yoon again, and I also sometimes will go and read a whole bunch of short stories by one author, and a couple that I've been enjoying lately have been Mert Rustad and John Wisworth,
1: who are also friends of mine,
2: and they are both amazing. John, particularly, is so good at flash fiction. So if you're looking for really short pieces, um, reading through a list of his work is like a masterclass on getting your message and your punch across in next and no space.
1: So my good friend Martin Cahill published a short story called Salamander Six-Guns, and (laughs) It's fucking incredible. I think it came out last year and it's so good. Please go read it. That's all I have mm. to say about that.
0: Moving on. The next question, Mambo asks, what are some good ways to start researching with a capital R or how not to sit staring at Google for half an hour because you don't even know any good search, search terms to start with <laughs> and a and linked question, what are some good ways to stop researching? I was looking for <laughs> the basics of blacksmithing. How do I stop before I'm reading about advanced aerospace metallurgy or microgravity plasma sintering 3D printing. Okay. Any ideas? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't think that's a word, but I'll take it. I am possibly somewhat more of a pantser than you two? Is that fair to say? I'm like 50-50 these days. Right. So my... It depends what we're looking for. If you're looking for, like, material culture, that's something that it's really important to be able to research so you can get the details of your scene to feel right. But I tend to try not to research a ton when I'm writing until I hit something where I need it, unless it's like the backbone of the story, if that makes sense. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah,
0: I think I started the one the book I'm working on at the moment is the first time I've tried to write something set in a specific historical period, mm-hmm. uh, which is Edwardian England. And so I did a little bit of reading, just picked up a couple of very basic books on Edwardian culture read a couple of books that were written around then and set around then just enough that I felt I had a handle on the bits and pieces that were going to go into the book Uh, but since I've started writing I've also done a little bit of extra research just pulling in things like if I need names of painters or if I need specific details about you know geography of England but I think probably a lot of it's going to be cleaned up in the editing pass so I found mm-hmm. a couple of websites on things like Edwardian slang. Like the language I think is really going to need to be <laughs> prodded because I'm <laughs> writing as an Australian is very odd because we pick up word usage and slang from both America and England and we have our own as well. And I often cannot quite tell which part of speech or which where I actually got something from, and so I have to show things to people from these countries and be like, is this right? And you'll be like, what is sticky beaking? And I'm like, you don't have sticky beaking? And they're like, what the (laughs) fuck are you (laughs) talking about? And then you realise it's Australianism. So, yeah.
2: I was trying to write this story that was really specifically set in Detroit and like working class coal country just outside of Detroit, and I'm like, I've been living in America for six years now, but I'm really fucking British but i can't tell which pieces are which and i had something like i use the phrase to peg it okay. which means to die oh and to me it would be like a working class colloquialism for that and would so for me would strongly peg that as being working class
1: and my beta reader was like what the fuck does this mean yeah and i'm like Aah! See, the funny thing was you just used PEG in the way that I would use it, which is to place. Uh So, yeah, back to the question. I think that my biggest (laughs) piece of advice here would be to treat research as if you're going to the grocery store. So if you go to the grocery Mm -hmm. store and you just sort of have the idea that you need to pick up milk, eggs, butter, and maybe some like things for lunch for the rest of the week, then you're going to come home with all sorts of like shit. Right? You're going to get <laughs> distracted in the chips aisle, you're going to follow your whimsy, you're going to have to walk back and forth from one end of the store to the other several times. So This be- is how avocado toast happens. Yeah, you exactly. accidentally some avocados. Exactly. So what you do is before you go to the grocery store or before you start researching, you sit down and you come up with a grocery list. You figure out which specific things you need and you mm-hmm. decide, I will only go get those things.
0: And then I will come home. I think I'm much more of a getting lost in the chips aisle kind of person from my limited approach to research. For me, it's a little bit different when I'm
2: in the middle of a story and looking for detail versus when I'm reading nonfiction somewhat for fun. Mm. So you will hear me not infrequently at the beginning of these recordings saying, oh, I'm reading this textbook and the other two will laugh at me. And I'm generally not reading them for research. I'm reading them almost as fuel and mm, yeah. there may or may not come a story from that later, but it's all kind of churned up in the back of my head and may turn into stories later. But I don't really think of it as research, but it kind of is. Like it's a part of stew. Yeah, it's it's uh, a stone soup. Yeah. yeah. And when it comes to how
0: you stop researching, that's when <laughs> it is useful to have a list. So Real if you're power. just doing background basic yes. research, then reading a whole lot of random things that may or may not make it into the book or the story can give you flavor and give you... Things that you think oh that that might be interesting or that'll at least it'll work its way into the story somehow but if you're looking for a specific thing like the basics of blacksmithing then it is good to think okay this is exactly how much i need for this story because at a certain point research becomes a very fun but very seductive form of procrastination like you're researching but you're not writing
1: also for things like the basics of blacksmithing a lot of times instead of reading a book i will go and watch some youtube videos because the details that i want from that Mm -hmm. are not necessarily the sort of details that a book is going to provide me i want to know what it sounds like when you hit a hammer on some hot metal i want to know like your body language i'm wanting to know like a lot of visual details that i can put in the book rather than actual facts like how hot the forge has to be fucking hot
2: i will also say that this is an internet age, but there are a lot of things that books are actually a lot better at telling you about. Particularly if you're researching for world building, it can be very useful to find a really good reference book and read it start to finish to get that the whole picture inside your brain, uh, when a selection of Wikipedia articles is never going to do that for you. True, true, true. So, question from our darling scribe Magali. What is the worst, most self-indulgent thing you've ever written that is available for consumption?
1: A Conspiracy of Truths, out now from Saga Press. Ha! Ha ha No. No, okay. Most self-indulgent thing. Okay. Uh, and worse. Okay, so the thing is, I only have one other thing published, <laughs> and that's a novel that is thinly veiled good omens fan fiction that I published when I was 22 years old. Six years ago. Well, That's bad. You well, know, I have a lot
0: of things that are available for consumption. And given <laughs> that they are all fan fiction, they are very self-indulgent. This is the thing. I th- Like my most self-indulgent fix. I can think of a few where I finished them and was like, yeah, that was that was a very self-indulgent thing to write. <laughs> but I don't think any of them were that bad, honestly. It's always fun when you're writing something really self-indulgent. If you're really throwing your ear and your heart into it, it usually comes out pretty well. So
1: name one of them. Okay. We would wreck for our dear listeners?
0: Well, the one that I think felt, it was difficult to write, but it felt very self-indulgent was The Manor House, which is an Inception fic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an OT3, one of my many OT3 fics. And it felt very self-indulgent because I could not really put my finger on whether there was going to be an audience for it. But it was an mm-hmm. idea that got stuck in my head and I really, really just wanted to play with it. Uh, and it's also one of the most personal things I've ever written in some ways. Like there was a lot of, my own truths and a lot of my own issues sort of sliding into it sideways as it were (laughs) so it felt very self-indulgent because it was quite personal but it was also very yeah it was just something that i wanted to do i didn't really care that much if it didn't get a big reception and i had an amazing friend do some gorgeous illustrations for it so it sounds so it comes across as even more (laughs) self-indulgent so i don't think it's i think it's one of the better things i've written but it was definitely probably one of the most self-indulgent
1: what about you macy that makes sense I guess.
2: Hmm. So if we're going for worst, there are like Baby's first attempt at fanfiction, which involved, if I recall correctly, the lyrics for a song <gasps> written between Lyra and Will, like Lyra Belacqua and, like, to will when they were separated at the end of the trilogy by Philip Pullman, his Dark Materials, which I will let you two see. But I don't need my ancient baby fanfic handle floating around the interwebs. And here you are now, like, writing
0: poetry with multiple points yes. of view. Yes! <laughs> we well, have come for, listen...
2: I will say that was actually for my GCSE music class and I set it to music and I wrote and recorded the song and I got an A star for that. Who among us has not written fan fiction
0: for a high school English class?
2: It's true, it's true. (laughs) But um, a better answer for our listeners is probably the short story that is out with Cast of Wonders, A Cradle of Vines, which is entirely self-indulgent in that by weight, it is approximately 80% plant description.
1: <laughs> That's true. Like, <laughs> That's
2: you. That's on <laughs> it, it really is. And it was basically the result of me taking a short story class and learning how one was supposed to short story and trying that and hating it and bashing my head off it. And then
0: just covering the wreck in vines.
2: And in a massive, massive <laughs> sulk, finding one of my own favourite pieces of poetry, picking one line out the bottom of it and be like, I'm just going to sit here and write about plants... For an hour and a half, 1,700 words, all in one session. And somehow they bought it? Somehow they gave you money for that. They gave me money for it. Like professional rates money. And they paid someone to record it. And it's lovely. And I'm charmed by that fact. But
1: it's really self-indulgent. That's awesome. Uh, So the next question, if I may, Cameron asks, you've mentioned editing hell. How do your editing processes work? Macy, take it away. (laughs) Macy is dancing with happiness because Macy loves editing. Macy does love editing. Macy, actually, like before you answer this, I just want to say like, you love editing so much that I've kind of like caught it from you. Like you, you taught me how to murder board. You taught me how to murder board and that honestly it probably saved the uh book that i was working on earlier this year because that was mm-hmm. like a whole mess of fucked up like let's be honest i bullied you into murderboarding that thing i would not let you not yes and i'm so glad that you did because when i was going through rounds of edits with nava i had that big anxiety breakdown and couldn't work for like a month and mm. i totally lost my place and if i hadn't had their murder board to like tell me exactly what I needed to do at every step of the way it was essentially a to-do list I would have gotten totally lost it would have been terrible so thank so you for that. I should probably that. talk about what that means yes. rather than keep saying we can
2: keep saying the word murder repeatedly like I'm down <laughs> Murder with that. board
1: what is a murder <laughs> board Macy why don't you explain it? So a murder board is um <laughs> okay
2: it's the large cork board with lots of string and some colored pins and it looks real murdery. Yeah. Uh, If you're doing it with enough enthusiasm, it's going to look murdery and that's intended. It brings half the fun to it. So the basic idea is that you kind of get your whole book that you've already written down onto pieces of card or pieces of paper, pin it to a board in order, and then go through and use colour coding to kind of pick out the plot elements that you want to edit. So I've used it in the past to like highlight particular scenes when I've been trying to rebalance my book so I had more scenes set in the magical land or rebalance. Um, you could do this for point of view characters. I know a lot of people do point of view characters with cards. The whole idea is to get it out of your head and off of your computer and into something you can physically touch and then once you've gotten all of the like evaluation of your piece laid out in a really big format, you can start making notes to yourself and making an edit plan alongside it and kind of joining things together. I like drawing string between the scene as it currently is and the place where I want to move it to, oh for example, God. so I can have a map of where everything goes. <laughs> Listen, <is> dying. <laughs> so um, the thing about editing is I really, really love it. And I tell my poor, long-suffering agent, I will be like, oh, yes, I'll have that to you in two weeks. And she's like, so four weeks. And I'm like, you are correct. Because I always take twice as long as I will think because I, I get really involved. But, I mean, I also like editing other people's stuff, and I love talking You're through You're so good
1: comments. at it. Oh, my God.
0: And it's yep. so much fun, because I don't have to go and write the scenes. That's true. That it is true. To editing other people's stuff is so much more fun. <laughs> well,
1: thank God.
0: <laughs> you, you do have a lot more distance from somebody mm-hmm. else's work. It is a lot easier to look at that and be like, this emotional throughline is a mess. Fix it. Which is something that I have actually written in... <laughs> in someone's google document where i got the end of a scene and i was just like this is a mess you can see that this is a mess right <laughs> fix your mess
2: brutal yeah you know, that's my that's brutal. my
0: editing style i suppose
2: <laughs> i want to say that like this was us like real early on like before we even started serpent cast alex
1: was that when we were editing uh yes
0: actually yeah, quite because
1: early. I... that was like our first serpenting yeah because i started writing that book last november and had a draft to you guys in December, and then I was mm-hmm. editing it in January, February, and we started the podcast yeah. end of January. Friends who edit together, it's podcast to start together. Podcast Clearly. Together, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm not a visuospatial person. I have yet to try the murder boarding. It's just not to say that I will never try it. I have only ever actually edited one novel. I've edited a lot of fanfic, obviously, but to me... I can sort of feel out the shape of something when I'm looking at the outline in Scrivener because that Mm -hmm. because when I am outlining it to begin with, I begin with okay, which where is the point of view, where are the major plot points. So I sort of have a sense of the shape of it in my outline already. I have never moved a scene physically around. To me, that just is just like completely incredible. No, how would you like? It wouldn't work. Clearly, it has to be there because that's what you outlined. And then if no, you moved no, it, you all of the emotional journeys would be wrong.
2: Yes, yes, they are. So in the last but one edit, I've done five edit rounds of Hagstone. Oh the last but one, I picked up 25% of the book and reversed the order of all the chapters. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh wait! And like, I rewrote on, wait, them wait, wait. and like some of the scenes within the chapters became
1: reordered as well. Maisie, real quick, Freya, can you make that noise again? Oh, the sobbing
0: one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it's happened. It's gone. The sparks will just have to capture capture its glory. Um, So for me, when I was editing my last book, I think my particular editing process is starting broad, going narrow, which is fairly normal, I think. But I read the book and I took notes as I went about, okay, I don't think the two voices of the characters are quite distinct enough yet. Or I haven't given enough detail about this person's family or uh, the world building needs to be a bit heavier like just general impressions yes. and then when i was doing my first round of editing i wrote all of those down as like these are my guiding points so i had my mm-hmm. guiding points of editing and when i was going through the first time it was just have these you know major five or six things in mind have a look at the scene think how can i enhance this these particular points like how could i could i bring out some more world building here how can i change this person's uh, narration to more bring out their particular personality. And so I would go through and do an edit that was addressing the main things that I had noticed going through. Right. Um, and and
2: I mean that's a great point about just diving in and editing with it kind of in your head only for me really works under like 10-15,000 words. Going through and making a plan like you're saying Freya is like always do that.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I just, because I have them written down as the, these are the big things Mm -hmm. to keep in mind for every scene. And then I would go through and say, okay, in this scene, and I often have points when I'm walking through my draft, like the book that I'm writing at the moment, I've gone back as I write. And I don't edit as I go, but I've gone back and said, okay, you need to change this thing in this scene because of something that I've just changed that I've written later on. And so I'll always have scene specific points and then I'll get feedback from people and they'll say, okay, this scene, you know, this person's emotional journey doesn't make sense in this scene, change that. So I'll do the big picture stuff first and then go back and edit each scene individually. I did not have to do any structural edits on Sword on Two Fingers, which is my first book, because the structure was quite strong already. I had to add a subplot, which was interesting. And that was another whole thing where it was a big picture thing. It was here is a subplot. Have a look at the outline. Where where can you drop the hints? Where can you change things? And then I had to add one scene. Which works quite well for me. It's not too bad. No and adding scenes is not bad for me at all because I tend to not, how to explain this, I tend to write scenes that are very much one moment in time rather than being like and then you know for the next two weeks we did such and such and such and such, like speeding up slowing down, speeding up slowing down within the text. I tend to write all at one pace like I'm describing exactly everything that's happening in one moment in time and then I just have a break and then the next scene will start and something will be said that will make it clear it is 2 weeks later or that afternoon or whatever it is but i don't do that and so adding scenes in is quite easy because everything is a single snapshot of something in time
1: how about alex so my big editing thing is that i underwrite a lot and so all like 90% of of comments from my editor are things like hey could you like bother to explain this ever could you like let us in on what this character is thinking or what you were thinking or Because I have this tendency, my brain goes so fast that I'll give you point Mm -hmm. A and point D, but I won't tell you point (laughs) B or C in the middle because I assume that you just like are following and that you got that. This is definitely true. Yeah. This is definitely true. (laughs) (laughs) But anyone else like reading it is like, wait, what what happened? How did you get from point A to point D? And Mm -hmm. when I explain it, they're like, oh, that makes sense. You need to actually put that on the page, though. (laughs) I hear this is a big thing with people who have the book playing like a movie in their mind. They won't
2: describe it because it's just there for them. They don't realize which bits people can't see. I know Sherwood Smith talks about this a bunch when she's teaching.
0: All right. Well, let's move on. I think we we could probably buy about editing for a very we long could. time. We could. Let's
2: let's please save our poor listeners.
0: Yes. <laughs> sure. So our next question is from Escher Texture. 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 Escher Texture. Texture. Very cool name. In your free writing, how did you gravitate towards your genre of choice, e.g. romance, YA, fantasy?
1: My dad was a huge sci-fi fantasy fan when I was a kid, and he, like, so I, like, grew up with sci-fi fantasy, and I can't really, I can't actually really remember him reading many genres besides sci-fi fantasy. And when I was a teenager, we both got into Diana Wynne Jones at the same time, and he would order a whole box box of books off Amazon, and then we'd fight about who got to read which ones first, and that was great. <laughs> so it was something that I was just sort of brought up with. I think for me, it was quite similar. Like, my parents own pretty much every
2: Terry Pratchett, mostly from my mum. And, like, we would watch Babylon 5 on TV as it was coming out. Keep in mind, this was, like, 19, what, 95? Mm. i was five years old and watching babylon 5. nice uh which yeah maybe (laughs) (laughs) you know questions um so i'm really drawn to particularly fantasy these days in both ya and adult because i want to examine and create worlds and examine and create magic which to me is a metaphor for power structures a lot of the time. Mm. So that's something that I enjoy investigating and, like, thinking about and creating. And particularly, I like in short fiction, just coming up with something totally weird
0: that, like, feels cool. I I agree. I've always been a consumer of fantasy. I read, you know, Roald Dahl and the sort of fantasy-ish Enid Blyton books, and my mum read us The Hobbit when I was really young and read us Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when I was much too young to understand most of the references, but I had a really good time. And just continued to read fantasy along with a lot of other genres um, all the way through my life. I came to romance quite late. I wasn't one of those people who picked up the romance books that you know your parents had on the shelf. My mother mm-hmm. does not read romance at all. I didn't know anybody who read romance at all, really, until I hit <laughs> fandom, and then you know that comes the realization that a lot of the fic that I was reading was actually very much <laughs> romance, and <laughs> I was learning to write romance by writing fanfic. And I asked around about who had any recommendations for romance novels that were like fanfic, and that's how I discovered K.J. Charles. Yay! Uh, But I was also reading a couple of other people, like um, Courtney Milan was recommended by a friend of mine. Again, I'm still not a very wide romance reader, but I basically taught myself to write romance accidentally through fanfiction uh, and enjoy it so much that I'm going to keep on doing it. But I've always written fantasy, like all the terrible proto-novels that never actually got past about 20,000 words that I was reading, that I was writing in my early teens, right, right. were all very much fantasy. So now I am just trying to mush them both together and live in the Venn diagram of romance and fantasy. You guys have already heard my little career meltdown about that, but that's where oh. I'm happy.
1: It's it's tough to figure out. Yes, yes. So the next question KT from the SerpentCast Discord chat asks, if you could eat any meal or any single item of mm. food described in a science fiction or fantasy story, what would you eat and why? I object to this question stringently. Why?
2: Because it says single. Oh, single. Yes, agree. Agree, actually. I mean, like,
0: rude. We'll go with rude the meal. Because
1: I've, I've got to start with Freya's pastries. Ooh, Yay. yes. Freya's pastries right? Sword on Two Fingers sound amazing. Yes. I want...
0: Would you like so. me to describe them to the listeners?
1: Yes, sure. So this particular
0: keep it short, food... Freya.
1: Don't monologue.
0: <laughs> I don't know if I could <laughs> monologue on the subject of this pastry. But you let's
1: monologued see. about bushfires. I'm not going to put it. Past seconds. You. Fifteen seconds. I'm counting.
0: Seconds. Go. The pastry called a rascal is a coiled pastry that is baked until it is golden and buttery and brown. And in between the coils of pastry is melted cheese that has got herbs through it.
2: Ta-da! 12 seconds we are very proud of you well done
1: <laughs> and it sounds delicious and i want five immediately yes agree uh i think that a classic answer for this question is the turkish delight and the hot drink that the uh white witch gives edmund in the lion the witch and the wardrobe that's always the classic a lot of people go ew turkish delight because they think that it's amazing and then they try it and instead of getting like <laughs> The good fresh stuff, they buy some like stale box that has been sitting on a shelf for a few months and they're obviously disappointed. But if you've had like really good actual proper fresh Turkish delight, it's incredible.
0: (laughs) I agree, I I love Turkish delight. One of my favorite restaurants in Canberra is a Turkish restaurant that does incredibly good house-made Turkish delight as a dessert. It's so good. Mm. What would you have Freya? Well, honestly, I think I have to go way back to childhood and say the Red Wall
2: Feasts. (gasps) Because... I mean, I had some questions. Oh, no, I had had so many questions
0: about them because, like, the foods sound amazing. But then you're like, acorn what? Like, like, once you actually look at what they're made of, you're like, probably this would taste horrible. But just the sensory detail (laughs) and the lavish, loving description devoted to food and the ratio of food pages in every book was just so impressive and as a child i desperately wanted to be at those feasts so i could see what all the fuss was about
1: i feel like this is a topic that we could also talk about for an entire episode mm. i
2: think yes like food culture yeah. and like and food and fantasy it would be a good world and how to world episode. build like mm. where your food comes from because that's oh, yeah. huge and like who gets to See, eat i'm going to be sitting here going i invented
0: a pastry and macy will be like okay which where does the flour come from Tell me about the Yes, what routes. type of
1: wheat? Is this semolina or unprocessed, Freya? I actually have an amazing tentpole. Like, it's a non fick tentpole. And I'm going to write it down so that we don't remember. This is totally happening now. Okay.
0: All right. Yes,
1: Good, yes. moving on. Because then I can nerd
2: the fuck out about um, Catalyst where, yes, I'm going to, my poor punchy blacksmith is going to be very confused by the high court feasts. Let's put it that way. Anyway, next question. Um, An anonymous, an anonymous mouse on Tumblr asks, during episode two, Alex mentioned that her male protagonists are often somewhat passive and wait for the plot to come find them while her female protagonists run around setting things on fire and making plot happen. Sidebar from Macy, relatable. (laughs) Um, Back to the question. She mentioned that this was tied to her perceptions of masculinity and what she finds interesting about people. I was wondering if she'd expand on this and to the other serpents have similar patterns in their character building.
1: Yes. So what I find attractive about female characters is ones who are proactive and who see a problem and solve it, because in a lot of the media that I have consumed over my life, the female characters are passive and don't have a lot of agency and sort of are reacting to things that are happening around them. And so I enjoy writing female characters who sort of seize control of the the reins of the thing and go after shit that they want. I think that's cool. I think that's fun. A lot of times, my female prote- my female characters end up as antagonists because they're so competent and they have their own ideas about what they want, and their wants are not related to like a community of wants. Like they are gloriously, wonderfully selfish and doing their own thing, and I love that. And it makes them good antagonists. I haven't written that many female protagonists um i'm writing one right now and it's challenging it's strange i write a lot of male characters who are passive and reactionary because i think that's interesting too it sort of defies gender expectations when the male characters are sitting at home whining and being sad and soft and having genuine feelings i'm coming up against
0: that in the book i'm writing at the moment so this is only my second book, both the last book and this one are male-male romances, so the two main characters of both of them are, they're all men. And so I have not yet written an original female protagonist, although all of the short stories I've written have got female protagonists. And I have plans, I have so many plans for future books. But you're right in that there is definitely a trend, obviously to do with, you know, conceptions of masculinity and femininity for traditionally female characters to be a little more passive and i have run into this conflict in what i'm writing at the moment trying to make a decision about how a particular scene is going to play out and how events are going to move forward in that one of the cardinal rules of writing is that you want your protagonists to have agency and Mm -hmm. to for plot to happen because of things that they go out and do so rather than plot happening Hmm. to them like everything happening because someone knocks on their door or because they're walking down the street and you know, there's an explosion, you want them to go out and find the plot or to make a decision to investigate something and thereby complicate things. But I also have a secondary female character that I want to utilize more. And so I'm trying to make a decision between should the next portion of the plot happen because she in the background is doing something and comes to find this person and essentially drags them by the ear back into the plot while they are sulking? Or should my (laughs) character get over their sulk? make a decision to go and do something and go and find, go and seek her help. And I think at the moment I'm going to split the difference and have him make the decision to go and seek help, open the door, and she's there ready to drag him by the ear, like they both made it separately. <laughs> but it's interesting because that I want... charming. Because I wanted the female character to make some decisions to move the plot along, but she's not a protagonist. And so I'm about trying to walk this tightrope of having my protagonists have agency. But also give my female characters more things to do.
2: So I think that this reminds me of an, an article by Yun Ha Lee whose short fiction we mentioned earlier on about the combinatorics of writing diverse characters and not that one can write a diverse character because a person is not diverse uh, but that you know eye twitch aside if you're trying to write a villain and a protagonist and you want to make one of them female and one of them male there's kind of no win scenario there there's always like some strange dynamic like if you make them both men well then there are no women mm-hmm. um if you make them both women there are no men if you make the villain male and the protagonist female then oh you've got a suffering woman being victimized by a man if you make it a man as a protagonist and the villain as a woman then you're like oh no the femme fatale is like bullying my poor innocent man it can be really complicated, this yes, stuff. Yes, yes. Mm. So my, my own patterns of characterization, I write basically, my protagonists are always women. And I am not interested at this point in writing straight men ever. Yeah, no, and no, no. I could be <laughs> persuaded maybe at some point to write a queer man. But in my books, I have side characters and important side characters who are male. And they will, some of them will be pushy and some of them will be nurturing and my female characters. Right now in Catalyst, the book I'm working on, I'm going to be doing for November, I have a very punchy, fiery, go-getter, blacksmith woman, and then I have a very well-mannered, somewhat manipulative, Slytherin woman who is very mannerpunk. punk And they can both be women in different ways, and that's something I'm very interested in exploring, is that there are a lot of different ways to be female, and we don't get to see that a lot and i want to put some of the different ways together on the page and have them interact
1: yes that's cool hmm.
2: like i just i i want to avoid at all costs being uh one thing i want to shake things up and this is something that actually i use a ser- the sorting hat chats to check myself on i will at some point when i'm planning a book do a quick gut check of like what are my primary secondaries and am i falling into patterns that i've written before cuz that gets boring
1: Yes, yes, that's cool.
0: All right, so next question. So this question is from Ria314 on Twitter. What was your first fandom, slash how did you first find fandom? Also, what was the first fic you read or first fic you wrote? I'm sure Ah, we have some interesting stories to tell ah, here.
1: I have such vivid memories of this. So I was, (laughs) I want you to picture the scene, it was like, 2002 I think and I was 12 years old and in my backyard with a new friend that I'd made like three days before and she'd come over to my house and in her hands she had like 30 printed pages and she said I found this really cool thing on the internet last night I printed it out I want you to look at it I was and I was like well what is it she's like so you know how we both love Lord of the Rings and I said yes and she said there's someone on the internet who's writing stories using the Lord of the Rings characters. And I said, what? That sounds amazing. And what she handed me, those 30 pages, were printed out copies of Cassandra Clare's very secret diaries of the Lord of the Rings characters. (laughs) Except her printer had fucked up and had only printed like half of them and like stopped in the middle of one line. (laughs) <laughs> and so I only had like part of each one and I had to go on the internet to find the rest of it. And in the process of finding the rest of them, I found a lot of other things. <laughs> and so I was I was like 12 years old and there's all of the this was back in the days of like people had personal websites where you had to go to find their fan fiction mm-hmm. rather than like archives or wonderful databases like we have now. And I didn't know what any of the tagging systems meant at that oh, my time. Gosh. So I, being 12 years old, accidentally stumbled onto a NC-17 (laughs) fanfic. It was RPF, it was Solo-M, it was labeled with things like lemon, and I had no idea what that meant. And the moral (laughs) of this story is that tags are great, but only if the person understands what the tags mean. (laughs) I was a little bit traumatized. I remember going, why is he stroking a chicken? And it Ah! took me about halfway through the fic (laughs) to realize what a cock was. Oh, sweet summer child!
2: (laughs) So the end. Myself, um, I think I was about thirteen, and what had happened was that I was watching this TV show called Shaman King, which was like this dubbed anime ripped from Japan, and it was on once a week on Fox Kids, and. I was like, I was devoted. I really loved this show. And one evening, my father laid claim to the television and wouldn't let me watch because he wanted to watch something. And I was distraught because there was never any way I was going to be able to find out what happened in that episode. So I started Google searching for that episode. I'm like, Shaman King in the internet box. And it brought me to ff.net. And I was like, this is strange. Is this what happened? I don't think this is what. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. So my first fandom wasn't really Shaman King, but like that's how I found Fancy. Yeah. But it was, I mean, things like Digimon and Beyblade and what was the card game one with Yuri? Oh, uh, no, what? Uh, was it? Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh. Yes, like those on FF.net back in the day, so what I'm saying is I have been anime trash
0: forever. (laughs) Well, I sort of started as anime trash, but my very first introduction to fanfic is a bit similar to Alex's. I think it must have happened almost around the same time, because I'm about three years older than you, and I was 15, and it was a very Lord of the Rings experience. (laughs) And I remember, I can set your scene, it was in a movie theatre, (laughs) <laughs> where this group of people who i'd i I'd changed friendship groups when i was 15 which was a big deal in my high school and i went from hanging out with the very you know conservative music nerds to hanging out with the essentially queer goth anime group and we, we were Rasha's all sitting down. Baby Freya. Yeah, oh, baby Freya, we were all sitting down Rasha's. about to watch a movie in the theater and some people were talking about something that they you know, they were oh they printed something out and they and I think they handed it to me more or less to see if I would flinch because they were like oh you know it's a story like it's fanfic and they handed it to me and it was printed out it was threesome porn between <laughs> Aragorn Legolas and I think Celeborn, like one of the other elves okay. and I All remember right. looking at it and just being like I would read that I mean I guess <laughs> even then I was like. I'm not sure this is what I would be looking for if I was writing fiction about the Lord <laughs> of the Rings characters, but you do you. Um, and then, you know, we got into Fushigi Yuki fandom and again people were sending me these things that were like deeply disturbing, sort of hurt comfort prison AU, rapey porn what? things, and I, so for, in my head I was like, well, this is what fanfiction is I guess, it's just <laughs> lots and lots and lots of sex oh, and, oh. you know, obviously the very secret diaries were coming out about the same time and we just sort of fell into fandom head first, but it was a very eye-opening experience, because mm. that was just what it was, in my Oy mind bay.
2: Oy the first thing I wrote was not porn <laughs> very proud Look, look how far
0: you've come Mm. So to speak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Back to my roots, so to speak. Hey, that is a pun in Australian. Anyway, <laughs> let's move <laughs> the fuck on. Did, <laughs> Did you miss this? my beautiful Australian pun, or was that just adding to it by putting the word "deep" next to it?
2: I'm going to move on. Good. Okay. Good friends. I'm going to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna nominate that we move on. So our newest scribe, Millie, asks. I think it would be really cool for our codependent serpents to tell us how they ended up, codependent writing buddies. I myself crave a critique triad, and I am really struggling to get one together. Suggestions and tips. My suggestion
0: is that you find somebody, move into their draft, and tell them in Google Comments that their character is a weaponized submission twink, and wait for them to have caps lock for half a page, and then you'll be BFFs. I think I'm I was not quite like, sure how to, to duplicate that, but that's more or less how it works. Yeah.
2: I think I was like making Alex scream about like the
1: like wanting to be told what to do stuff in that. Do you remember that? Only vaguely. I mean, listen, when I was drafting that, like my brain was in a weird place. <laughs> I don't remember a whole lot of drafting that book or editing that book. Uh it just sort of like happened while my brain was asleep. But I think I introduced you. You did, yes, because you and I, Macy, met on Twitter because you posted about Hope Punk, mm-hmm. and then I introduced you yes. to this Slack chat that I already had set up, which I was trying to like cultivate, like a little group of writer sort of people that I could know and like have around as a supportive community. I was community building is kind of my thing. I keep doing it over and over and over. I love building little internet communities for myself, little nests. Uh, so I invited you, and then you said, I have this friend Freya, we should invite her too, I think, right?
2: Yeah, and I think I met you Freya because of shouting on Tumblr about my story won't get any shorter help.
0: Yeah, and I think I was shouting about the fact that I had written all these short stories and I didn't really know much about the genre short story industry, about where to submit and much about the markets. Yeah. And you slid into my Tumblr inbox and said, hey... You know, I, I can give you some advice there if you like, um, and you offered to edit one of my short stories.
2: Yes. Which I want to say, was that the um, gay space
0: spies epistolary? It might have been. Oh, I love gay space spies. This is This is, this is, is like episode. a notorious yeah. within us story that is never gonna be published because again it sits in this weird ass genre place, but it is a delight if I say so myself. It's
1: it is I should have mentioned yeah. that one in like short fiction <laughs> that I really like is this story that's not available anywhere but is like the delight of my heart. It's fine. Maybe maybe
2: when you or we have a mm-hmm. Patreon, oh yeah. We can use it to bribe bribe our our darling audience so macy and i
0: developed yeah a friendship based on critiquing and then i said i i need to learn things about the wool industry for this novel that i'm writing Mm -hmm. and macy said i know someone who knows things about fabric and sewing yes and i think you guys would get along because you have similar tastes and i don't know like five minutes after we met alex and i were just sort of yelling (laughs) at one
1: another yeah and you sent me you said that you were just about to finish sword on two fingers and uh you told me about it and I was like that sounds amazing that sounds like everything I want give it to me right now give me give me give me and then you sent it to me and I read it super fast and was like this person knows my heart oh my goodness Mm -hmm. uh and then I asked the two of you to uh beta read the book that I had just drafted and that is how we ended up here Mm -hmm. yes yes Yes. lots of shouting so suggestions Mm -hmm. and tips
0: I think yeah, you kind of luck into it sideways, Absolutely. but you have to you do have to build your own community. Well, but if you are if you are hanging out in places like our Discord or other places where you know that you can find people who are into the same things as you, it can be worth just sticking up your hand and saying, "Hey, I want to become more accountable with my writing. I'm looking for someone to sort of be writing buddies with, or I'm looking for someone who likes this genre, mm-hmm. you know, has the time to read this particular length of words, who would be interested in giving me." Character feedback, structural feedback, be quite specific I think when you're starting out and try and find someone who might suit what you're looking for out of a critique partner to begin with.
2: But I will also say don't be afraid to be the first one to reach out because I think that if you don't, if you are interested in building that kind of a relationship and community, a lot of people are quite shy. A lot of people are more yeah. shy than you are. so don't be afraid to slide into someone's dms and be like hey i can talk to you about lit magazines and also edit your Mm -hmm. short story because what are they going to do say no like okay you didn't lose anything and even
0: if if you find someone and you discover that your critiquing style doesn't gel Mm. or Mm -hmm. like you're not into what they're writing that's okay like i think it's pretty easy to say to it becomes fairly obvious if you're not quite the right people for yeah. one another. Right. But it helps if you are hanging out in like-minded spaces. Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
1: Um, and also, I think, just to go off of what uh, Macy was saying, also, like, ask people if you can read their stuff. Say, like, oh, you. I know you were mentioning mm-hmm. that thing, that book that you're writing. That sounds super exciting. Can I read a little bit of it? Because people love that. You know, writers are so mm-hmm. wanting attention <laughs> all of the time and validation. And,
0: and try <laughs> And I would say try and find if you're looking for something like a very supportive close knit group, try and find people who are at the same yes. stage of writing as you. If yes. you have never written a novel before and you really want to start, find someone else who's in a similar position, who's not written before.
1: Peers. Um, you know,
0: you know things, you'll be able to give each other feedback, but you're yes. looking for peers. Yes. And you can get critique from people who are more experienced, but if you want people who are supportive, like you want people who are kind of where at the same yes. stage as you. So we became Friends, all of us having written at least one book, only mm-hmm. one of us actually being published. You two had agents; I didn't at that time.
1: But we are all like right at the like beginning career stage, the yeah, cusp, like the, the cusp of things. Yeah. Yes, yeah,
0: we're very much at the the cusp of beginning careers. So I'd say look around for people who are like minded, but are, who are also at the same stage as you Mind. when it comes to writing. Because yeah. that, yeah, then you'll grow up together.
1: Yeah. Yes, yes. Aww, I love you guys a lot. I'm I'm really <laughs> glad that we can be co-defendant together. Yes. Uh, So, finally, uh, we have come to the end of the episode. We have one more thing, which is more of a comment than a question, uh, shall we say. (laughs) Shadowkeeper, also one of our darling nerds from the SerpentCast (laughs) Discord chat, has decided to start raising money to bribe me into watching this terrible show called Deception, so that (laughs) I will record my reaction as, like, a bonus episode or something. So, I... Shadow Keeper came up to me uh, and she said, how much, like, what do I have to do to get you to watch this terrible show about the stage magician? And I said, fuck, no, you can't do it. And then I thought, no, I can use this opportunity for good. I said, if you raise $100, I will use that $100 to pay the scribes. That $100 will go straight to the scribes. I will watch and record my reaction to one episode. For the if if you raise a second hundred dollars, <laughs> I will keep that to pay for this microphone that I just bought for myself. <laughs> if you raise a third hundred dollars, I will. Oh, I sorry, raise a second hundred dollars. I will watch a second second episode and record my reaction, and then for each subsequent one, I will pay the scribes with that. So yep. deception is a CBS show about a stage magician who helps solve crimes, and that sounds lovely. I can't fucking wait. See, stage magicians are people, No, Alex. they're not. Varied interests. Stage magicians are not people. Some of their varied interests involve crime. So... Sh- we like crime. Shadowkeeper has already contributed $20 to my PayPal, and she asked us to count that $20 PayPal donation as her extravaganza question submission. <laughs> so as as means of advertising what she's doing. So... <laughs> If you would like that, you can send me some money. Should I give them my PayPal address? No. Okay, talk to we me. We should you. tell them to email maybe SerpentCast and we will correspond one-on-one? Sure, yes. Or, or hit me up in the Discord chat. Or ask ShadowKeeper <laughs> on the Discord chat and she will link you to my PayPal. You're right, <laughs> so I don't want, darling. No, no, no. You, hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're absolutely right. I don't want the, to want to give them my PayPal because I don't want this to happen. This sounds no. terrible.
2: <laughs> so listeners it's a quest if you want alex to suffer um you
0: need to find and if you want you must scribes to be paid you must pass
2: work. these trials three
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yes
2: we do want alex to suffer no. it's one of our favorite things no it's not buy diamonds
1: and rubies and suffering alex oh fuck off <laughs> I think that's the end of the episode. Listeners, go. listeners, thank you yeah. so much for sending us questions. This has been thank lovely. You. It has been such a nice break that we didn't have to read <laughs> anything for this episode. The epi- <laughs> the questions that you sent us were delightful and wonderful and we had such a good time answering them. Thank you so much. Even if we didn't get any like particularly loud noises out of fire this time. We got a good sob. We got some good yeah, ones. Be, we Fine. got a sob. We'll get you. Yeah.
0: thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. We hope you enjoyed this grab bag of questions, and fear not, we'll do it all again for episode 30. Now you may have noticed that we've been slowly upgrading our audio capabilities recently. Fingers crossed this will be the last time my track of the main episode sounds like a fuzzy echo. We want to be all mic'd up and ready to go for the next episode, two weeks hence on November 7th because it will be all about Alex's debut novel, A Conspiracy of Truths, and we'll be digging into some delicious discussion of mythology in fiction as part of that. We said at the top of this episode that Conspiracy comes out on October 23rd, but the pub date has actually been pushed a little, and it now comes out on November 6th. So the next episode will be airing the date after that, but we're not going to spoil anything, and you should definitely pre-order it anyway if you're interested in mythology and narrative, or if you just want to bring joy to Alex's heart. And if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up as well. Of course, as usual, we're open for all of those questions, comments, and breathless adulations. Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or come and hang out in our fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of the website. And lastly, if you enjoy the podcast, do remember to review us on iTunes. And by the way, in all sincerity, we couldn't do this without you. Thank you.